Today, we're talking to Ariel from Piano about how developers are the new guardians of sensitive data. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. So you founded a company, they got acquired by Magic Leap, or you went and worked with Magic Leap. You then were managing like 700 plus engineers, right? And then it looks like, then what did you do after that? Like, I'm trying to create this mental map to better understand you. Yeah, sure. So first, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the second company of me and my partner. Uh, The previous one was uh, less like a startup kind of or a product kind of company, but more like a services kind of company. So we help many, many companies, like including Fortune 500, just solving very, you know, complex engineering problems. An event, including cyber and, and security, uh, you know, problems, but not only. And eventually, we got acquired by Magic Leap, right, to lead the whole product security operation. So we managed indirectly, like we oversaw 700, even 800 engineers doing software, hardware, and cloud, different methodologies. But what we needed to do back then is to make sure everything they build is built securely. So you need to make sure you are really embed your processes are embedded all, you know into all these uh, organizations to make sure you're overseeing everything. So we had our own team of 30 people, but we oversaw like seven, 800. And then we were there like for three years or something like that. My partner left a bit earlier, I stayed a bit longer, but then we took time off. Uh, so we took the time off to do his stuff. What he likes to do is finding security vulnerabilities. So we find many, found, he find many of them in Windows kernel and he got like a lot of money from that for Microsoft. And what I wanted to do, I wanted to do something good for, for humanity, just, you know, use the time for something that I will learn from, but also contribute something to the world. And this is where uh, I helped another friend of mine to use AI, to leverage AI, like what today everybody knows already, but back then it was a bit less that known, uh, to leverage AI in order to help people in Africa to get away or, or reduce at least the damage being done by malaria. So I will, I can talk a bit about that, but that's what I did back in the time being. And then we had COVID. And then during that time we say, hey, let's, let's take what we learned in Magic Leap. And what we learned is that engineering engineers or engineering team, they lack the infrastructure to properly secure sensitive data. And we say, hey, let's, let's build that infrastructure and let's make, you know, the life of the next, uh, you know, uh, uh, people building new systems or even existing systems. So instead of them to need to build it from scratch, let's give it to them f- off the shelf and they will easily integrate it and, you know, uh, uh, just be able to focus on their own stuff instead of, you know, protecting data. So that's maybe the, the in a few sentences, the whole, the, whole, the whole story, how we got to today. When Josh was telling me about the conversation and talking about how developers are the new guardians of data, right? That really caused me to think. And so I was digging deeper into what you guys were doing because you're right. Because the developers are always using it and working with it and and having to build with it, we have all sorts of strategies for anonymizing it or you know making it safe to work with in development environments and all of that. But there's never, at least in my experience, a point in time where the developers first become an expert on the privacy of data. <laughs> it's exactly. almost, it's an afterthought. And so 
when I saw that you were doing this, I said, well, that reminds me a lot of when I used to be really frustrated about payment processors and Stripe came along. And I was like, oh, finally, I can just extract it. I don't have to really deal with it. And then there were some other subscription type management abstractions for billing. And I could just learn the language of interacting with those abstractions and go back to putting the systems together. I really enjoyed like business logic and solving specific problems. Uh, and so I didn't necessarily want to become an expert on data privacy. Then you have the the other side of things where you get people, when the companies are big enough, where they have data privacy experts, and then it becomes this battle between engineering and the data privacy teams and all of that. So when I saw that you guys were had an approach to solve this, like I want to know, how, how are you doing it? Can you help me understand? I'm a software engineer for 17 years and then I did the podcast so I have a really good solid foundation historically of building those types of systems but help me understand exactly what you guys do yeah so so what you you mentioned like uh, stripe I think it's a very good you know uh, example they took you know the complexity of you know dealing with credit cards okay or dealing with billing and they translated it into a simple set of APIs. So we basically did the very same thing, but for data protection. Yeah, so data protection is, as you said, engineers, that's not what they're thinking about when they're building systems. That's maybe part of the problem. I'm not expecting them to be experts, but up until a couple of years ago, there was no reason for them to think you know, about it, right? It wasn't in the, in the news. It wasn't you know, prioritized. There is many reasons for that. We will talk about it later. But the point is that Today, we are all seeing uh, what's happening when they are not building it uh, uh, with privacy and security in mind, when systems are just built and then security and privacy are being you know, integrated as afterthought, as you said. So we are all seeing it in the news every day, right? And the solution for that, okay, eventually is that it has to be done by design because, again, we are seeing what's happening when it's not, when it's not the case. So... What we did, we, we analyzed, you know, all the GDPR requirements, all the CCPA, all these, you know, many other regulations that developers, as you said, they don't care about. But we also brought our, you know, expertise in security. And actually, we, we, were, we are coming from, you know, both sides of defense and offense. So we took all, everything we knew, everything we learned in the last 20 years from the time we started, you know, our first steps in, in the cyber uh, domain, even before it was called cyber, it was IT security back then. Uh, so we took all that background plus, you know, the, the new stuff, the new new threats and and uh, and uh, techniques from security side, but again, also the new requirements and, and regulations. And we just built, you know, uh, uh, we built an infrastructure that provides all of it as simple APIs. So it wasn't only our idea. I mean, we came up with that, but we also saw that very good and large companies like Netflix, like Google, uh, JP Morgan Chase and a few others, they build something like that internally. But the problem is that most companies, they don't have the resources to build, you know, that infrastructure for, the, for them, you know, uh, like the, the very big companies are doing. And eventually they, are, they have to, in, in some point in time, just waste a lot of resources, a lot of engineers to, to develop a lot of it. So, and then, as you said, it's not their expertise. So, they don't really like to do it. Maybe they don't do it, you know, the best possible because they don't like to do it or because they are not experienced or because they don't have the knowledge. And they are wasting, again, a lot, a lot of time and resources instead of focusing on building their own stuff, which is exactly what used to happen with billing, right, uh, that you mentioned with Stripe. Uh, so eventually, for you as an engineer, let's say, that you are just collecting data, you are building some 
backend application, you collect data. So instead of thinking too much, you just get, you know, you use our infrastructure, you get like two APIs, store data, get data. That's, that's all. So instead of storing the sensitive data, the very sensitive data, wherever you store it today normally, like in many databases, uh, there is... Yeah, let's just say I, I would put it in Postgres, right? I got a table, there's, right. there's 10 columns, one of, two of them are sensitive. I'm somehow going to send those sensitive columns to you and have some sort of reference ID, right, in its place. And then when I need that information, I can... Use yeah, that so that's idea. that's okay. yeah, exactly. That's one option. But you normally there is as what you described is, is a great example. Like maybe you use Postgres. Normally we see today so many you know types of database being used in the same the same system because you know it's very easy today, and, and or, or people prefer to use like microservices and each team prefer its own database. So it's the the problem is even much more complex. There is so many copies of the data, and that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. And I can talk about that as well. But eventually, right, instead of just storing it as is in Postgres, so you use our API to encrypt it before we store it, or to store it in our infrastructure. And in both cases, what you get out of it, so as a developer, you just need to use, to call a single API before you store the data and call another single API when you fetch it back. But what you get is from the other side of the system, from the side that, you know, controls everything, you get single place that can control, you know, all accesses to all sensitive data. And that system also solves, you know, all the security and privacy compliance mm. requirements that, again, otherwise you, be, you need to build yourself. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. So rather than me having, let's say, let's give an example. Let's say we have three different application teams. Each team runs a different application at the company, and they all need some sort of PII. Rather than that personal information being in three different databases, it's just going to be in one database. And yeah. then it's going to have a reference to those. So it's going to reduce your attack vector significantly. Right. Either it's really stored in the database or the other option is that it's encrypted and stored. It's still stored in the three databases, but encrypted with the key okay. that is only only available in that centralized location. But in, in both options, in both cases, eventually you get like centralized control over the data. And that centralized control allows you to really nail down or, mm. or lock down the access to the data, but also comply with the needed privacy regulations. That's kind of brilliant. How do you handle it when, with these newer types of technologies, like the chat GPTs and the AIs, are you even playing over there? Because I know they have different ways that the learnings happen and they store information and retrieve information. Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. Actually, we are seeing, you know, from, from our customers, the challenge today when they try to adapt, you know, GPT or other types of API, of AI APIs. And there is two points where the problem happens. One is if they want to use sensitive data they collected from the customers and they want to train the model to be better, you know, adapted to their own uh, to their own data, and they want to benefit more from the data and, and to be able to provide more value to their customers. But if they use the APIs as is, they don't have the guarantees they need to make sure it's not, you know, utilized for training by those APIs or maybe just it's not protected enough there. So what we are providing them is some proxy that sits in between, in between the caller, like in between their own applications to open API. And that proxy knows to identify the, the critical pieces, like the PII we mentioned earlier, the identifiers, or maybe other types of sensitive information. Like think about social security number or email addresses or phone numbers or even names. And knows to translate it into something non-sensitive. So that's, that data is the one being, you know, 
eventually sent to the uh, APIs. And then when the result get, comes back, we translate it back. So for you as a developer, it is transparent. The only thing we need to put is the proxy in between, but you just use the data normally and we make sure that it doesn't leak to, to those APIs. That's pretty interesting. I'm just going to ask for some clarification there just because I'm kind of nerdy about it. So let's say that I'm running a, a GPT type service and the person, I don't prompt them for any sort of sensitive information, but they tell me sensitive information. They just put it right mm-hmm. in the input. Mm-hmm. That input then hits your systems before it hits the model at my company exactly. and re- redacts everything or it just passes along metadata saying, hey, you're about to receive this input and these tokens amongst this input are sensitive. No, it's, it's basically sits in between your backend to OpenAI APIs, for example, or any other, okay. you know, uh, LLM you're using, any other mm-hmm. API, and it sits in between and just redacts the sensitive data. It replaces it with some non-sensitive data or synthetic data, and it translates it back on the way back from the API. So for you, it is transparent, but we make sure it doesn't leak to the APIs. Okay. And it's early days. Like, that sounds great as something to have today. Obviously, the use cases are going to get crazy, more complicated. Big right. issues will happen in life, and then we'll come up with standards, and people will write books, and we'll figure out how to <laughs> segment our systems. So, because you know, the the dream of it is just to throw every piece of data I have at this artificially intelligent system, it to hold all of it in context in real time, and be able to conversationally dispense valuable business insight to me. That's that's right. a beautiful dream, but being able to do that in a way. Well, obviously that system would would not be client facing to any degree, but uh, yeah, to be able to do that in a way that respects all the different, you know, like the GDPR and all the different requirements that you have, that's an important thing to consider. Right. Yeah. And what we are seeing, and not only about uh, you know GPT and AI, but also about many other use cases that maybe we'll talk later, like for example, data lake, okay, or data warehouse, mm-hmm. where you know companies so they they use this infrastructure to collect, you know everything they have and then try to get more value out of it, similar to what they're trying to do with AI today. So what we are seeing, and I have been talking the last two years with over 300, you know, companies like people like either security or or engineering leads. And what we are seeing eventually that people either they, you know, compromise on security and privacy of the data by just allowing everybody to access it by sharing it with OpenAI, but sharing it with third parties. So that's maybe if they choose kind of that approach, hey, the value is more important. Let's let's do as much as we can to get more value, and that's life, right? Maybe privacy, security is second priority. So you want to provide better, you know, a better product, better value. Do we want to be more competitive? So either you do that, and the other option is that you compromise on innovation, you compromise on the value if you prioritize security, uh, if you prioritize privacy, if you avoid sharing the data, if you avoid allowing all your BI analysts to access the data warehouse. So you are losing something. So. You, in both cases, you're losing. And what we are saying is that if you walk the right way, if you make sure that you are, you know, doing everything I mentioned earlier, like if you're making sure that you're centralizing control over sensitive pieces and you're making sure that those are not leaking, that those are protected, and if you keep, you know, most of the data without it, without those identifiers, uh, so by default, everything is much less sensitive. If you do that, then actually you can, you know, it's a win-win. You can both, you know, uh, win the security and privacy and earn the trust of your customer and, and reduce the potential you know, damage in case of a breach and make sure you're not getting the fines. 
and many other benefits of, of you know, getting strong, you know, uh, data protection uh, uh, architecture or, or, or uh, infrastructure. And the other side, you can still benefit and provide the best value for your customers. So it's not that or that. There is a way to do it right. It's not as complex as it, as it used to be because there is companies that build, you know, infrastructure, as I mentioned earlier, that solves it. And then there is companies like, like us and others that are providing that kind of infrastructure off the shelf. So all you, what you need, you need to do as a developer is to make sure you are using the right tool. And if you use the right tool, you can make security team happy. So you don't need to, to have the fight with them that you mentioned earlier, like the tension between the security, the privacy teams with the engineers. They will be happy that you use such an infrastructure and you will be happy that you can get more value out of the data and you don't need to waste time in building you know, a lot of the stuff that the security and, and, and privacy teams telling you to do. Yeah, you're in a brilliant position because you completely nailed the spectrum of there are people out there that are just say, ah, who cares? We need to be competitive and we need to get to market fast and we'll pay the fine or we'll deal with the publicity issue when we if it arises, but we can't just sit around and wait for all the nerds to tell us it's okay to flinch, right? You've got that's one end of the spectrum. <laughs> and I'm a nerd, so I'm one of those people. On the other yep. end of the spectrum, you have, you know, the people that are just extremely cautious, are going to wait for standards, aren't going to do anything potential. And then you've got what I would consider the 80% of the people who they they know that they're going into a situation, they're going to take their vitamins, right? They're like, hey, we know this isn't like a cure-all, but we have to do something. We need some prudence. We need some thing to point to, some process that's not nothing. And I think that's you know a really good position to be in, right? Because you're able to serve the market that's saying, hey, you know, you can serve the entire spectrum of the market, right? From where you're sitting. And that's actually a really good position. You can... Uh, serve the most conservative individuals with their privacy policies and, and data protections, but you can also serve the people in the middle because they can just pick up your infrastructure and start using it right away. Exactly. It's, it's like our solution, if we talk about that specifically, it's, it's really self-serve and you don't need to do to take all of, all of what it allows you to take from day one. You can start by just making sure, again, you just use the single API we mentioned earlier, like before you store sensitive data, make sure to call a single API. And you already get, you know, 80 percentages of what you need to get in terms of, you know, making it very, you know, much, much, much harder for the penetrators to, to try to get your, your data. And then over time, when you need more, when you are obligated to more and more, you know, regulations and requirements and you have, you know, stronger maybe privacy team because the, team, the, the company is growing and you understand that you need to invest more in that. And we see in many cases companies going toward IPO. Hey, now we have to do you know, to fix everything, right? But then if you, if you start there the right way, it is much, much, much easier for you just to grow, right? To consume more of what those, you know, infrastructure allows you. So you, you can do it granularly. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and that's exactly like the way we see it, yeah. How do I sell this to my team? So let's say I run a team or two teams or three teams of engineers and I have to sell this idea that, hey, we're going to take a cycle and instead of building the next feature the customer wants, we're going to go protect some of our data to reduce our attack vector. How do you sell that to your team? Or is that not your customers? Are your customers, do they look different? Yeah, it's a good question. Most of our, you know, most of our customers eventually today are coming from healthcare, fintech, and other, you know, other areas where, you know, there is a lot of sensitive data uh, and that it is a bit either more regulated or there is a lot more, you know, 
a, a trust, like interest, like uh, fintech companies, they have to gain tr- the trust of the customers so they understand they need to protect the data. But we are st- starting to see the, the shifts of the adoption to more and more companies because the world today is not, is not where it was, you know, five years ago. Today, the demand is coming from the customers. Today, the threats, you know, landscape is much more complex. Today, the systems are much more complex. Today, the regulations are much stricter. So many things changed in the last couple of years. So more and more companies understand they need to invest in that. Once there is understanding in the team that you have to do something, this is where you actually prefer to take something off the shelf because instead of building and, and you know, spending like many, many cycles of development that you mentioned, of fixing it yourself, what we are allowing you is exactly like you mentioned Stripe in the beginning of the day, of the talk. We are just giving it to your simple API. So once you understand you need you need to do something about it, that's where it's very easy to convince your team, right? Once the security team, for example, or the privacy team give you the list of requirements, or maybe you as like VP R and D or lead architect, you understand that you have to do something about it. So exactly in this point, we come and tell you, hey. You understand that you need to do something about it, but of course you don't want to build it, right? Nobody wants to build, you know, security and privacy infrastructure, maybe except us, right? <laughs> uh, that's what we like to do, but nobody else really wants to do it. So we are, again, just giving you a simple uh, APIs and you can use it, make everybody happy and move forward with what you really need or, or want to build. And when you've got these, let's focus on the industries that are already comfortable with the sensitive data that they know that they need to solve this problem. They know that they need to be on the, you know, working to improve like healthcare and fintech, as you mentioned. For them, there's obviously several different options that they have, right? They could do the stupid thing of building it themselves. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) kidding. It might not be stupid, but they could build it themselves. They could use other tools, they could use your tool. What is it about your tool that is competitive advantage? Yeah, so bidding yourself indeed is an option. And actually, maybe the main competitor that we see today is companies that bid it themselves. The mm. reason, I guess, is that there were no, there was no such an infra until recently. Okay, we are young, and even the few competitors we have are pretty much young. So the main competitor today really is do-it-yourself. I believe today it's not something companies should really do, right? Especially where there is already solutions out there like ourselves. What's unique about us, I think, is that we built it in the developers in mind. We built it to me the most, the simplest we could for the developers to adopt. And we, for example, allow the developers to get with the single command line, you know, Docker run command on their own desktop. They can get the whole solution running on their own desktop locally. They can test with it. They can play with it. They can use it for CICD for free. We are not charging for that. So our solution is a very eventually provided as a very simple container that can be deployed anywhere. So even in production, if you want, you can deploy it within your own architecture. You can deploy it on-prem. You can pro- deploy it on any cloud provider. We we provide you know all kind of you know types of integration like Kubernetes and ECS and Cloud Run and you know serverless, not serverless. And so that's I think what's unique about us. We also provide you know the fully hosted solution like maybe our competitors do, uh, but we are much more flexible in that. Uh, so we are just allowing you to consume it the way you want and play with it as much as you want. And we built it for the developers. That's, I think, what's unique about our solution. When you're on these pre-sales calls working with people that might become customers and they're discussing how they already have an existing 
system, right? And so in their mind, they're going to be thinking, do I move over to piano or do I continue to build out our system? First of all, does that even ever happen? And if so, what do you say to them? Yeah, of course, it happens a lot because most companies we are talking with are not are not new. Okay, uh, that's reality. There is also many new companies, and if they if they are smart enough, they are just doing it from day one. Of course, right? But most companies are not new. So for those companies, there is you know uh, uh, different you know uh, uh, ways to look on that first. Anything new being built, of course, they want to build it the right way. So we are giving it the tool the tools to do it the right way. But for existing systems, we are also we have also invested a lot of efforts to provide you know very simple like annotation kind of solution. Like you just de- take the code, you annotate you know the the fields in the RM definition, the model definition in the RM you use, like whether it's like Django, Hibernate, or Typo RM or other RMs that we support. You just annotate the fields that you want to protect, and we do all the heavy lifting for you behind the scenes. We make sure that that field is protected, is encrypted. It stays within the same database that you are already using, but before being stored, it's automatically behind the scenes being encrypted for you. And that encryption, encryption, as I said in the beginning, now now allows you to get the centralized control because to access the data, you have to decrypt it. And in that point in time, the code behind the scenes, you know, reroutes the decryption request, the API to the centralized uh, uh, place that that makes sure it's on it's it's only done if allowed. And can it run locally? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, it can run locally, it can run on-prem, it can run anywhere. Or we host it for you and you just get an endpoint and you talk with our APIs. Okay. So these, have you had people that were building it themselves and said, ah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm instead going to switch over to Piano? Yeah, yeah. We, we had those. They started themselves. Some of them say, hey, it's very easy, let's build it ourselves. They started, they started to really dive into it and understand what, you know, the full feature set that they really need to build. And then they realized, hey, it's too much. Let's let's look for some vendor <laughs> doing it. And they came to us. Some of them even tried and started to build and they they realized it's too complex because nobody wants to think too much about how do they manage the keys for the encryption, right? Encryption sounds simple. I just need to call a single API, right? A single function, library function, right? Let's do AES, right? It's very simple. But then, where does the key come from? Okay, and then you need different keys for different types of of data, and you have many many services accessing the data. So you need to control who can ac- who get access to what key, and then how do you rotate the keys? So even just talking about encryption, which is you know one very specific feature from our solution, there is so many challenges to tackle it, especially when you scale, when you have many systems, when you want to make sure it it runs in the needed latency that you have and that you get eventually you get the control over the data so nobody really want to do it so we are seeing companies starting to do it starting to really analyze what they need to do and this is when they uh, sometimes come to us for companies that were making it themselves and then they transition to piano how did that transition actually unfold from a human perspective at their organization did you have insight into that yeah, it depends. Sometimes we, we just, you know, start with a, a company again with something new they're building. So then it's very easy. We are working with the team that builds the new stuff and, and we grow from there. Okay, so over time, you know, maybe an additional team or two teams adopt it. So that's maybe the a more like the organic way, right, to, to do it, uh, you know, team over team and, and everybody are happy. Sometimes there is, you know, large systems that are very, you know, connected, right, like microservices that are very, you know, heavily connected and rely on each other. And then it needs to be more, you know, 
more together in a way, right? So we still start with like one team, but very quickly, you know, we are starting to see that instead of, you know, sharing, you know, personal data directly between services, instead of two services talking to each other over APIs like REST API uh, or any other type of communication like uh, being down to there. Uh, So instead of talking directly with, you know, sending email or social security number to each other, they are actually sending encrypted social security number by wire solution or tokenized or, you know, something that is not sensitive by itself, but is referencing the data stored within our, within, within Vault, within Piano Vault. So that's what we are seeing. And then it means that you have to kind of integrate, you know, both services somehow together. Okay, not really together. There is ways to kind of define new version of the API and, and you know, support both of them for a while. But my point is that if services communicate to each other and owned by different teams and they start to talk secure information instead of, as today, non-secure APIs. So there is a need to for a bit more thought, but we have been going through that with a few companies already, and there is just, you know, the playbook for doing it. And again, the, the motivation to do it is that once you're doing it, you're really solving a big, you know, problem and you're beca- and, and that's becoming a business enabler for you to, to innovate more. And are you headquartered in Tel Aviv? Yeah, uh, we're headquartered in Tel Aviv. We also have uh, some U.S. presence, our CEO, but uh, except for that, most of the team today is still in Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah. And I personally, I have many friends from Tel Aviv. And one of the things that I, well, I first noticed when I went to whatever the big security conference is every year in uh, San Cyber Francisco. Cybertech maybe. Ah, in Cyber Francisco, yeah. like Beckett's uh, RSA. Yeah, RSA, there it is. And I went in the in the year I went, the different sections were almost different countries, right? And I went, I had some uh, friends, and they took me over to the Israel country area where I saw a bunch of different Israeli cybersecurity type startups. And I got to, you know, be, have some conversations and hang out with them. And one of the things that I picked up on was that they all had an unusually high level of discipline and directness. And for me, that is what I enjoy, right? I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, I like discipline, I like directness. And so when whenever I find somebody who's yeah, having a startup from you know Israel area, I'm always curious to how they expand, what other cultures, like what what would it be like if you know a third of your company was from another country and what culture but it seems like right now you're just mostly Tel Aviv. You've got one or a couple handful of people from from the outside. And uh, as far as clients go, are you guys t- discussing publicly if you're venture funded, if you're bootstrapped, if you're cash flow positive? Do you have those conversations publicly? Yeah, we are venture backed uh, by YL Venture. It's one of the, I think, the best cybersecurity investor in Israel. They are of only course. Or investing <laughs> in Israel. They are only investing in cyber. Actually, they have offices in San Francisco as well and in New York, but the, the companies they're investing in is like, mostly from like only from Israel or Israeli founders and only in the cyber domain. And so we are back, backed by them. We secured $9 million two years ago. It's all public. And uh, it took us a while to build the infrastructure. We, we, we built the infrastructure I, I talked about because we wanted to make sure it's, you know, fully resilient because it took us some time to really analyze all the requirements of security and privacy and, and the regulations and, and, nail it down how to make it very, very simple to be consumed by developers. So it, it took us about a year to build the product. And since then, we started to really work with, you know, customers and production. And that's where we are today in the kind of 
growing a bit and going to the next uh, uh, next set of, of customers. Well, I think what Israel is doing as a country is brilliant because when you have the general population doing service, right? And they're going through and you're getting these people that go through the service, they come out, they understand what, you know, they can be 20, 23 and understand what cybersecurity at scale looks like. And yep. when you do that to your whole population, it's just brilliant. Cause, and Because I was trying to figure out, selfishly, I was thinking to myself, why are there so many good startups coming out of Tel Aviv? I was trying to figure it out. And then what my ultimate conclusion was, the two things. One, I think it is, is largely due to how they do their service, uh, public mm-hmm. service. And the second thing, I think it's largely due with the culture. The, the fact that you communicate and people are direct, I think that that allows things to get done faster. Yeah, I think you're totally correct. Like there is a few people in the, in the army, in the Israeli army that are heavily technologists, heavily focused on innovation. And basically what you learn is that everything is possible technology-wise and you can do, you can solve other problems. Nothing is an issue. You really, you know, again, in many, many, in many, many places, not everywhere, but in many, many places, you really understand, you know, how things work in the details of it, right? Like behind the scenes, not just like as a normal developer, but you really understand how the metrics, okay, behind, behind the development is being done. And, and then you understand that really you can solve everything. And I think that mental understanding is what eventually take, you know, allows those people to, to look on problems and say, hey, we can solve it, no problem. But nobody solved it yet. But, okay, but we can solve it. It's not a problem. Okay, we just, you know, <laughs> dive into it. We just do some research. And in a couple of weeks, we'll give you like a PLC of something. Okay, so that's what a lot of Israeli, are, you know, companies are very good at. As you said, they have the best technology. Uh, they are not afraid of asking, you know, questions, even, you know, just the 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 newest uh, uh, or the the last developer that just joined he can ask any question he's not afraid of asking anything yeah. in many many cases he really find you know something that nobody thought about so that's part of the culture as well as you mentioned and i think that's what israelis are very good at right what's maybe israelis are less good at is how to take that great technology right that maybe even solve you know a real pain of many many people but how then to s- scale it or even before that how to sell it how to market it and how to you know do the the marketing uh, bluff right how do how to even you know extend a bit of what you have in, in order to bring the next customer that's what you know in many cases israelis are less you know as good as maybe other you know uh, uh, originally uh, created countries uh, we can work together yeah, yeah. let's do it <laughs> we're Amer- america can make stuff up all day <laughs> 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 i want to make sure that we talk about your the software that you won an X prize for, or was that one of Google's prizes back in the earlier 2000s? Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did in between Magic Leap to founding uh, Piano. So actually, I helped a friend of mine with doing that. He started that effort a couple of years before that. What they are doing, they are trying to solve, you know, malaria in Africa. So they are just, they have a mobile application and many people on ground walking and using the mobile application to map all the area. You know, just mark where there is water bodies that are the place where the mosquito lives. And if this mosquito lives close enough to, you know, to houses, to people, so in the night, during the night, they can fly and just, you know, spread around the, uh, uh, the disease. So what they are doing is just that operation that makes sure that we, you spray, you know, all the water bodies around everybody, all, you know, houses. But doing that effort manually is very time consuming, but also very, you know, money, very expensive. Okay. And then... The, one of the main problems in Africa is the lack of money. 
So with the lack of money and the need to spray everything and to invest a lot of money in that uh, operation, uh, that's the reason that it's very hard to solve the problem. So what I was helping that you know, team is to leverage AI, uh, to leverage deep learning networks over, over images, over many layers of data that is actually freely accessible you know, in the public internet, like uh, many layers of, you know, just the colors of everything and then historical information about, you know, how, how much rain, how much water are there on the ground in many places and historical, uh, uh, historical information about the temperature of many, many, you know, everything around the globe. So we used all these layers to train a special model that could predict where should be the next water body uh, in, that in a specific area in Africa. And that algorithm, that model that we have developed, actually won the XPRIZE AI for Impact. Mm. Uh, XPRIZE is a comp not very non-competition you know, that is backed by large, the largest companies. The specific competition that, that we won, that the team won uh, $3 million from, is, is one that, if I'm not wrong, is backed by IBM specifically. But yeah, we, they won the first, uh, the first, uh, first position. Actually, they won it like when COVID just started and because of COVID, everything was delayed for a couple of months and eventually a year after uh, they really made it and got, you know, the final approval and got the, the money and they're using that money today to, to solve the real problem in Africa. They're working with gov government That's to brilliant. define areas and, and then use the AI in order to predict where the water bodies are going to be and then eventually send real people to spray the real water bodies and make sure we, they eliminate, you know, the, the mosquitoes there. Well, yeah, I originally was born in Florida, so I know mosquitoes. There's a lot of mosquitoes in Florida. And <laughs> yeah, I remember the, one of the first times I picked up on the vehicles that just drive around and spray all the water bodies for mosquitoes. Obviously, it's an expensive thing. And when you have a poorer country or a more resource-constrained country, right, then it's if you have a hundred water bodies, it's like, which ones do I spray? So a tool where I could say, okay, my budget this year is $1 million and it tell you which water bodies could be sprayed to have the greatest amount of impact for that million dollars because you can't get to all of them. That's, that's a brilliant tool. That's an awesome thing. Yeah, and, and, and you, can, you can imagine that Africa is not like Florida. I mean, it's not like a maybe... As clean as Florida in terms of you know you know where the houses are you know where the water bodies are in Africa every, everything is much less organized let's say and, and then it's even very hard to know where where people live okay you don't even know that right and then you don't know where the water bodies are so a lot of the effort is also in the mapping part not only on the spraying part but you need to to do both and again being restricted in money uh, that's still the reason why malaria is still out there. Yeah, when Josh told me that you guys won an award, I was like, "Did they get rid of it?" <laughs> he said, "No." So no, unfortunately not. <laughs> unfortunately not. And, and the team is still working on that, and they are working also with like uh, you know the Bill Gates Foundation to try to everybody try to you know to help each other there eventually. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's not prioritized enough, I guess. You know, for for most of the world, that's why it's still there. Well, in regards, I'm watching the time. I want to be respectful of your time. In regards to piano the PII software that you guys are building and, and working with, what's the best way for someone to get started? Do they have to call and talk to a sales team? Can they just download something from your site or GitHub? And how do they get started? Yeah, just go to our website, like piano.com, and there is a get started you know, button. You just press it. You do five minutes, you know, uh, 
getting started kind of walk through and you, and you understand you know the the essence of it and then we are happy to jump on any call there is a way to talk to us and once you understand what you want to do and uh, normally we start you know to collaborate we open a sl- you know shared slack channel engineers to engineers so we help our customers eventually with the adoption we make sure they're doing it you know the the best way the most you know cost effective way uh, and they're also uh, uh, getting the most out of the platform so to begin with jump to our websites click a single button and five minutes you get it to extend it you know feel free to talk to us and and we are just assisting you all the way until you have it you know fully functional in production perfect and can you just spell the website for me again yes sure like piano p-i-i-a-n-o.com that's it brilliant that's so easy. Oh wait, there's a logo right yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I look forward to talking with you again next year about how you're a billionaire and you sold to Microsoft <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, I, I also believe so. It's it's really the, the good time. You know, it's not exploding yet, but it's the time to build it and and be you know fully mature for the large companies that will come like in a couple of months, in a couple of years, because as I you know, mentioned briefly, but the world of data protection is just getting, you know, more, uh, uh, more, uh, more needed or more, uh, 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 you know, people are looking for solutions because their customers eventually are expecting much more than what they expected like 10 years ago, or even like two years ago. Two years ago, they, they were less, you know, uh, uh, suspicious about data being collected. Okay. And Mark Zuckerberg wasn't invited to the Senate to talk about, you know, privacy issues. So today it's in them in the heart, right, of, of what everybody cares about. Uh, it's not the only thing everybody cares about, of course, but it's becoming much, much more important for everybody. And that's why companies start to understand it and they start to understand they need to, to build for it. And uh, so we are, uh, we are exactly here to, to catch, you know, these companies and help them uh, with that journey. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear, discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.